please to the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 this morning. This morning, I'm going to do something that I have not done years as your pastor, I am highlighting a very significant event in church history. By the way, the first 30 years of church history are recorded in your Bibles. We call it the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts roughly just before Jesus' ascension into heaven. A few weeks after he had died on the cross and rose from the dead, The day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 marks the beginning of the history of the church. And the book of Acts, for the next number of chapters, it records about the first 30 years up to about the year 60 or 61 of the history of the church. But the history of the church has continued. it's continued now for now nearly 2,000 years. It it, it is the record of many people getting it right and many people getting it wrong. There have been some really high moments in church history and some pretty low moments as well. I begin this message, however, not with events, not with the name of a person, not with a date on a timeline, but rather I begin it with Scripture, Romans chapter 1, there, The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Let me pause for just a moment. When we see the word gospel, it does not mean just one of the first books of the New Testament. The gospel means literally the good news of Jesus Christ or the good message of Jesus Christ. So Paul here again writes... I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for how it burns into people's hearts and changes lives. And I pray that today would not be an exception to that, but that your word as it is proclaimed would change our hearts, our minds, and our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That text that you see before you, that text that you hold in your hand from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it was that text, that text, five centuries ago that burned deeply into the heart of a Roman Catholic monk named Martin Luther. And it was out of that text, that, that text that you see before you there, it was out of that text 500 years ago, actually last Tuesday, 500 years ago last week, it was out of that text that we have the beginning of what we call now the Protestant Reformation. The Pro- Let me just explain again this, this event, major event from history. The Protestant Reformation was, I believe, a God-directed intervention. You understand what an intervention is? It's when an outside force comes in and changes something drastically. 
I believe the Protestant Reformation was a God-directed intervention that reformed or restored much of the church back to New Testament practices. It, it, it wasn't a new thing, it was the restoration of an original thing. It didn't get it perfect. It didn't, we could go on at length talking about it. It wasn't perfect, it wasn't seamless, but it was a restoration or a reformation. Without, again, going into great detail, the church had become, over the centuries, had become weighted down with practices and traditions that were not based upon the Word of God. They were a lot of traditions that they kind of elevated, sometimes above Scripture. And the church had largely abandoned its mission of reaching spiritually lost people. See, that's the mission, right? Jesus said, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel, the good news, to everyone, baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. He, he, he commissioned them, but the church had gotten away from that. It had gotten away from reaching spiritually lost people. Instead, over the centuries, it had become committed to the pursuit of power. It had become committed to the pursuit of political influence. And it had become very committed to the pursuit of wealth. So God, using people, he always uses people, right? God always uses people in his plan. God, using people like Luther, Martin Luther, and others, were moved by texts like Romans chapter 1, were moved by texts to reform a church that had lost its way, that had gotten so off track that it, 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 it barely resembled what God had meant it to be. Now, Again, this, this event from history 500 years ago last Tuesday may not seem like a big deal to us, but as I've studied this in recent months, and I really have done a lot of reading, not just in preparation for this sermon, but just because it was, it was interesting to me, as I've studied this much in recent months, I've found that this event that happened 500 years ago is a very big deal to us because there are remarkable similarities between that time 500 years ago and right now. I'm going to mention a few of them. So, so, and there's a lot to this, there's a lot more that I could, but I'm going to mention just a few of them. Some of the remarkable similarities to the church at that time and the church, and by the church I mean Christianity and, and the world today. Similarities between that time and our time. For example, 500 years ago, if you're taking notes, you can just write this down. 500 years ago, people lived with great fear. People lived with great fear. Uh, uh, you see it, you, you can open up any book on European history, medieval European history, and, and you will find fear was demonstrated in their art. Look at it, some of the paintings from the 13, 14, and 1500s. You will see fear on almost every one. You see it in their architecture. You see it in their, in their church buildings. You have, you have statues that are fearsome looking. You have gargoyles that are just that, that were fear-inducing the art, the architecture, even the literature. You read some of the literature, things like Dante's Inferno, which speaks about hell, which is a very real and literal place, but it was, it was such a fearful thing. People were in great fear. Luther, Luther, he said, later when Luther came to faith in Jesus Christ, he actually came to faith in Christ even before he was a monk, but 
or, or after he became a monk, but he, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when he did so, he said he feared God and Satan in equal measure. He feared Satan as we should, and he had a fear of God, which we also should, a respect of God, but he had a terror of God. People were driven by fear during this time. Why was that so? Well, in large part because people saw death around them. If you study history, you know that this was an exceedingly bloody time. If you look at the measure of history and and the bloodshed in the last 50 years, and you take a 50-year period of time, 500 years ago, there was much more bloodshed at that time than there is right now, particularly on the continent of Europe. People saw death around them all the time. When war came through and ravaged their areas again and again, when war and famine and plague killed millions of people, The people of that time longed for the assurance of something beyond this life. And your average person, though they had heard about Jesus, they were were so in fear of dying because they didn't have the assurance of eternal life. How sad. The understanding that God saves. The understanding, we, we sang so much about grace this morning. Uh, which is very appropriate. We're going to be receiving communion later on, but, but we, we, we understand, I think, in better measure now God's grace and His comfort and His care, but people at that time, the perception of God caring, the perception of God giving hope, the, the perception of God giving Himself in love for us was, was almost beyond their comprehension. They had lost it or they had never heard it. You see, when there's no faith in Jesus Christ, there will always be much fear. Just let that, let, let that burrow deep into you. When there is a lack of faith in Jesus Christ, there will always be fear. You see, they're diametrically opposed to each other. When faith grows, fear subsides. When faith wanes, fear grows. I still see that today. Fear continues to mark our our world for the same reason. Because when faith is not found in Jesus Christ, fear grows. I don't need to tell you this, but you probably are already aware. People of our time and our world right now, in our culture right now, there are so many people who are placing their faith in so many wrong things, in so many wrong places. They put their faith in they put their faith in their job or their health, or their family, or they put their faith in the government, that's crazy. They put their faith in, in, in their culture, or they put their faith in, in some kind of thing within their world, and they think that if I have enough of this, or I have enough of that, then, then I will, that will dispel fear. But because they put their faith in things other than Jesus Christ, fear grows. Fear is epidemic in our world. You see it all around. There's fear over what is fear over what is happening in our culture. There's fear over our economy. What's going to happen? When's the bubble going to burst? When's it going to go bad? There's fear in our national security. And quite frankly, it bothers me when I see Christians who have also given themselves to fear. One of the reasons why I went to Washington D.C. was to pray for my daughter and I said, 
I, I said, Kristen, you cannot give in to fear. Fear is powerful, but Jesus is greater and he can dispel that. We have to be careful, certainly understand that, but we must not give. And I see so many people giving in to fear, Christians giving in to fear. And I'm telling you, this morning, if you're a fearful Christian, there's something wrong. Spend more time in the Word, less time watching the news. Let me say that again. Spend more time in the Word and less watching news because the one will give you fear, the other one will give you faith. I'll probably pay for that one later, but I said it anyway. But most of all, you know what the number one fear that people have today? What's going to happen when they, when, when they die? What's going to happen when I die? How many people living today, how many people do you know, how many people you go to work with or go to school with, how many people that maybe even living in your home are absolutely living in abject fear because they know that, they know that they're going to die. Someday they're going to die, but they don't know what's on the other side of death. How many people not knowing what's going to happen to them when they die and they're living in abject fear? Here's the thing, you see it before you. Romans 1.16 says the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the power. Don't you love that word? It's the power of God. It's not the, it doesn't say the suggestion of God. It says the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Can you imagine when the people, when the people were hearing this, sometimes for the first time 500 years ago, in some cases for the first time maybe today, all of a sudden the message comes that God has power to save us and not just anyone, but everyone. He has the power to save everyone who comes to him and surrenders their life to him. And we know that not all will be saved. Jesus said, wide is the path that goes to destruction. Narrow is the path that goes to eternal life. Few find it. That's a sad fact, but it's open to everyone. Power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What hope that gives. Can you imagine? Here's this monk 500 years ago, and he's reading this for the first time, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to burn this into his heart. And he's going, the power of God for salvation to anyone, for everyone who believes. Wow. It's powerful. There's another similarity between that time and now. And that is people not knowing God's word. People not knowing what this book says. 500 years ago, almost no one read the Bible or even portions of it. Part of that is the literacy rate. Um, in 1517, 500 years ago, in Germany at that time, uh, the literacy rate was about 10%. 90% of the people could not read anything. It, it never learned how to read. It just wasn't a thing wasn't necessary like it is now. It wasn't available like it is now, but that was part of it. The printing press was about 50 or 60 years old, so mass printing had already begun, and the first things printed were Bibles, and so, so they were seeing more Bibles, but Bibles were still rare. It's not like you could go down, you had the means or the money or even the ability to read it. It's not like you could go down to the bookstore and just buy one. <laughs> Didn't have a Gideon's ministry where you received one free. Didn't have anything like that. It was, it was so very rare, the, the Bible was. And even if Bibles, here's the thing. Even if a Bible was available, 
they were always written in Latin, which was a language that at that time and in that place almost no one understood. Almost no one, in fact, all of the church services were conducted in Latin. It would be like you coming and you've never understood the language, you can't read the language, and the whole service is in Latin, and you're going, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm going to check out the game early. That's how it was like. They didn't have the Word of God. They couldn't pull it off the shelf and say, what does it say? What does it say to me? Let me give you an example of this. In every Mass, in every Mass, every service, the priest would take the bread. He would take the bread and he would hold it up before the people and he would repeat Jesus' words at the Last Supper. We know what Jesus said at the Last Supper. It's recorded a number of times in Scripture. And Jesus would take, he took the bread, the Bible tells us he took the bread and he said, this is my body. He held up the bread and he broke it. This is my body. They would do this in every Mass. That's, that's correct to do in the sense that talking about Jesus and his sacrifice. But he would say it in Latin. He would say this, every Mass, every Mass, he would say, hoc est corpus. Hoc est corpus. Latin for this is my body. Hoc est corpus. Next Mass. Hoc est corpus. The next week, hoc est corpus. And it was in that moment that they believed that that it became the literal body of Jesus Christ. And so they knew that when he said, hoc est corpus, it was tran- they, they believed it was trans- translated into the literal body of Jesus Christ. But to the German people who didn't understand Latin, hoc est corpus simply became hocus pocus. In other words, they believed that his what, we don't know what he's saying, but when he said this, something was changed. How sad. The people didn't understand that the man up front was talking about the body of Jesus Christ. To them, it was just a bunch of hocus pocus. Wow. I mean, that's heartbreaking. When I first heard that, read that, I, w- I was heartbroken. Imagine again going to church, always confused because everything spoken, everything read is in a language you don't know. Did you know that one of the first things that Luther did was to translate the Bible from, excuse me, the New Testament from Latin into, the, into German, the, the language of the people. Oh, and people wanted to kill, the church wanted to kill him for it. Just a few weeks ago, I stood, Joni and I stood in the church where for the first time in European history, at least after the first 300 years early on, the first time in over a thousand years, somebody stood in front of a congregation and spoke to people the good news of Jesus Christ in a language that they could understand. The fact that I am speaking today and you can understand what I'm talking about, the Savior Jesus Christ, the fact that we sang earlier and we sang it in a language that you understand is, is, is powerful and it started 500 years ago last Tuesday. 
today, centuries later, how many people still think, how many people, how many people that you know, how many people that you interact with, how many people within just a short distance of this place, how many people still think anything having to do with Jesus Christ is just a bunch of hocus pocus? It's mysterious, it's, ah, it's just strange, it's go and do your thing, he does his thing, and they do their thing, and then I go and do my thing. Doesn't mean a whole lot. We're just kind of going through the motions. It's just, just a bunch of stuff. That it's meaningless, that it's purposeless. They don't know Jesus can transform them. They don't know that Jesus can send somebody to interact with your path and encourage you beyond words. They don't know that there is a Savior in heaven who gave themselves for them and desires to have a relationship with them. How many people don't know this? But when they think of church, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. You know, I, sometimes I get upset at people and they go, oh man, but you know, there's some people, they just don't know what they don't know. We can't get down on them and beat them over the head and say, why don't you know these things? They don't know these things because no one ever told them anything different. Their names be on a, may be on a church membership or a baptism record, but they don't know what the Bible says They don't know the person of Jesus Christ. There's so many people who need a new reformation. There's so many people I know and that you know that need a new reformation. They need to know that this good news is for them. That it's not empty words or mysterious practices. It's powerful to change people's lives. There's one more striking similarity that I want to point out and that is when people don't know or follow truth They can be spiritually misled and abused. Centuries ago, people believed the church or a priest granted them forgiveness of sins when they gave offerings. Those offerings were called indulgences. People were told, people were regularly told, frequently told, throughout their lives they were told that when they gave money, they shortened their time in purgatory. Purgatory, they were told, was an intermediate place of suffering between heaven and hell. It's it's, it's not as good as heaven, not quite as bad as hell. It's kind of just right there in the middle. It's, 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 It's just not a happy place to be. But because they couldn't read the Bible, because they couldn't read the Bible... They didn't know that purgatory was never mentioned nor taught in the Bible. They were spiritually abused. The indulgences, they, they, they just believed if I give enough money, then I'll, then I'll make it out of this middle space and I'll go to heaven. If I just give enough, this much money will buy me out of 10,000 years of purgatory. And when they gave the offering, they were given a piece of paper that said, yes, you've, now rec- you, 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 you've just gotten out of 10. And they're going, wow, that's great. That's like, it's like heaven on the installment plan. Do you know that St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, the very beautiful, some of you have been there, do you know that that was built during the same time by people who were paying for the, who were financing that because they thought, if I give so much, I'll get out of hell or get out of purgatory and I'll go to heaven. That's abuse. That's heartbreaking. That's heartbreaking to hear this. When people received communion back then, they didn't receive the elements representing Jesus' body and blood. Only the priest ate the bread and drank the cup. 
People lived entire lifetimes just observing, never experiencing. It was something that I came and I watched them do this on my behalf, but I never get to really personally experience Jesus Christ. So many things were done that essentially made people spectators of religion rather than participants in Jesus Christ. So with sovereign intervention, God used people like Luther and others to tell their world that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross forgives our sins. That the righteous are to live by faith in Christ alone. The righteous shall live by faith. That the righteous live by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Not faith in the church, not faith in our offering, not faith in another person, but faith in Jesus Christ alone. And still today, 500 years later, there are still so many people who are spectators of religion and they don't know that Jesus can dwell within them and that they can dwell within Jesus Christ. How sad. How many people, they don't know what they don't know. We have the answer. His name is Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus. But they spend their lives just observing Always the observer, never the participant. See, this is why we will not, why we will not, why we must never be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What does that mean? It means that that the gospel came first to the Jewish people. Again, we read about this in the book of Acts. But it didn't stay with the Jewish people. It went to the Greek, which is another word for Gentile or non-Jew. So when it says there, everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, it's, yes, it came initially to the Jewish people, but then it's for everyone else. How many people need to know that it's not just for a select few, but it's for anyone who believes? In a few moments... We are going to receive communion together. We are going to participate. You're going to, you're going to, re, you're going to take and you're going to hold it until everyone has been received, but you're going, to, you're going to take the bread and you're going to take the cup and we're going to participate. I want you to understand this morning ahead of time that you do not need to be a member of this church. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe like my, like my brother Kelly, you're visiting, but you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You can participate. You don't need to be a member of this church, but you do need to have faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation, I want you to also understand that salvation comes to you not because you gave an offering. It came when Jesus paid the price on the cross. You don't need to do anything except receive him because he did everything to forgive you. I worked on this message while I was in Washington, D.C. last week again with my daughter. While she was at work, I studied a few blocks away in the main reading room of the Library of Congress. Here's, here's a picture of it uh, before you. I was, uh, I was seated right here. This is where I was at this seat. And uh, that's, that's a nice room. That's almost as nice as our new library here in Aberdeen. Almost as nice. It's actually a little bit distracting. 
Now, let me just clarify something. That doesn't make this message any better. Oh, this one is from the Library of Congress. This one's going to be really a good one. That doesn't make this message any better. I mention it, and I show you the picture this morning, because as I was sitting there working on this message, and, uh, and one other, um, uh, I, I just kind of sat back and I looked up and I just, you know, it's just a beautiful scene and, and the picture doesn't do it justice. And I, I began looking around and about two-thirds of the way up there, uh, you see a number of statues there. You see six statues. They're kind of dark, just uh, the, the red behind them. You see six statues there. That's just a part of them. Um, I looked around the perimeter of the dome there in the library, main reading room of the Library of Congress and I noticed these statues of persons I inquired and I found that they are persons from history, right? We're talking about history this morning. They're persons from history who represent various areas of study. There are 16 total statues surrounding the dome there in the main reading room of the Library of Congress. There are two statues, each representing history, two representing art, two poetry, two represent philosophy, two represent commerce, two represent law, two represent religion, and two represent science. Persons from history who are kind of at the top of their field in those areas. Now, let me just be very clear on something. History, art, poetry, philosophy, commerce, law, religion, and science, all of those are important disciplines and they're worthy of study. But as I was looking at those beautiful statues, I was reminded, I was reminded that while history can record our times and art can delight the eye and poetry can delight the ear and while philosophy can stir one's thinking and while commerce can be valuable and law is necessary and science is essential, none of them can save sinners. You talk about a place of knowledge, that's a place of knowledge. Talk a place rich with history, that is deep rich with history. But none of them can save one sinner, not even one. In fact, not even religion can save sinners. Only the person and the message of Jesus Christ can save us for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. I love all of those areas of study. Oh, they're fascinating. But they can't change me. They can't change you. But I know one who can. His name is Jesus Christ. He never wrote a thing. The only thing that we ever know that he ever wrote was in the dust that was quickly blown away or trampled out. It's the only thing that we ever know that he ever wrote. He didn't travel far beyond that part of the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea and a little while in Egypt as a boy. He didn't go that far. He didn't write poetry. He, he didn't come up with some new discovery in science because he knew it all. But what he did is God came down and he became flesh and he dwelled among us. And he became the sacrifice for our sins on a cross. Do you know what that cross represents more than any other statue in this world could ever mean? Because that cross represents the price that Jesus paid to save me and to save you and to save everyone 
who calls on his name for everyone who believes. This morning, I would like you to do this across this room, please. Would you bow your head?